like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk then welcome to the just not sports podcast this is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like just not sports on today's show we'll talk to wnba star courtney vandersloot of the chicago sky about her passion for romance novels and we'll remember the history of nba jam and track down perhaps the most obscure player to ever appear in the game, and Adam, no, I don't mean Horace Grant. <laughs> we'll also slam some hammers, give you some distractions, and so much more. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago, and joining me in the studio, a fresh-faced sports media strategist and cultural daywalker, <laughs> Adam Millard. Adam, what's new in Chicago, buddy? Well, this is episode 42. Uh, 42 happens to be my favorite number. Now, Every, my mom has always thought it's because of Jackie Robinson, but that would be cliche. My dad's favorite player growing up, what, what when I was growing up, was James Worthy. Uh, and so because big of James. Big Game James, 42 has always been my favorite number. So this is, feels kind of like a special episode. Did you wear it like in middle school basketball? No, I wore 57. <laughs> oh, I mean, that makes sense. I had the worst numbers growing up. What's 42, Garth? They answered everything. 42 is the answer to everything in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, really? It's a good book. I love that book. Uh, did you read the rest of the series? I read the second one. There's like seven or eight books, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they kept growing. I got through three. Yeah, I did two. The first one is a, is brilliant. Restaurant I, at the I End of the Universe or something like that was the second one. They're good. And as you can hear, we have other people on the show this week, starting with our Emmy-winning sports producer in our Brooklyn Bureau, Gareth Hughes. Gareth, how are things in New York? I'm uh, I'm in edit tonight, and so I had to record this from an edit room that is unair-conditioned, so I am sweaty. Mm. Sorry, man. Sacrifices we make. Well, we, we record in a space where the air turns off at a certain time, and it always gets really hot in here. It's running tonight, so I'm sure it'll just ruin the audio, but <laughs> make sure that we don't smell like balls. Also with us, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together, America, for our producer extraordinaire, a Mr. Joe Reed. Joe, what do you have to say for yourself this week? I just want to say, what's up, guys? And I'm sad that I wasn't here for episode 40 because you always call me the 40-year-old millennial, <laughs> and I thought about it while I was out of town. I was like, shit, they're taping episode 40, so I'm sorry I couldn't be here. Well... And you're going to love my distraction this week because it will play right into that. Anyways. Well, we learned oh, a lot about God. ourselves last week, mainly that we don't need you. So we're going to start tonight's episode with a little bit of an awkward talk Uh-oh. with Joe about show business. On this show, we don't just email people to come on. We publicly shame them to join us because they have talked about something out in the open that they love that has nothing to do with sports. And therefore, we feel like they're obligated to join us on these airwaves and break it all down. We call this process slamming the hammer. Adam, who do you want to slam the hammer to this week? <clears throat> well, I would list this as a distraction slash hammer, but um, the show I'm addicted to on Netflix is Last Chance You. Uh, so this is about East Mississippi Community College. Um, 
They are they've won Joe three national championships, three in the last five years or something like that. Yeah. Two in a row, yeah. And they blow national titles, right? Yeah, and yeah. they blow people out. This is and they're in a tiny town called Scuba, Mississippi. Netflix followed this team during the 2015 season, and the amount of drama and crazy things that happen on this team and the different characters and players um, on the field, off the field stuff that happened is pretty spectacular. Um, and I wanted to drop the hammer on Coach Buddy Stevens because I want to know, I want to know what it's like to be a kind of reluctant reality TV star. You could tell that he was not happy yeah. that the cameras were there most of the time. And I also want to get his opinion on what, how much of this drama would have happened had the cameras not been there. Now, by no means do I think this is a, is Stage this, show. yeah, this isn't like real world where it's like, let's give, let's pick these crazy people, give them alcohol and, and see what happens. These are real happens. players that were there. These are real players yeah. and, and some really interesting stories, um, some sad stories as well. Uh, but a lot of drama that happens, and I wondered. I want to know if Buddy, uh, excuse me, Coach Stevens, um, thinks that any of the there was any extracurricular activity because the camera crew was there. Now I don't have Netflix. Well, well documented on this show, my, <laughs> my wife and I have not ponied up what is it, eight eight bucks a month or something like that. Probably need to get it. Uh, it sounds like an awesome show, though. It's great. it's great. After you texted us, I watched the the first episode. It's awesome. It's really <laughs> I will watch the, uh, the second one tonight. All right, so uh, let's do this, Joe. Who do you want to send the hammer to? All right, so I went to uh, a soccer game. Uh, this was maybe a week ago. It was um, Bayern Munich versus AC Milan at Soldier Field. Yes, it was a great game. Yep. One of the things that fans like to partake in is the wave. At big events, right? Oh, you guys, yeah. you guys know what the wave is. Yep, vaguely. So I want to talk to Crazy George Henderson. Do you know who the this? Guy who invented the wave? The guy who invented the wave. Wow, that's a good hammer. Yeah. So he um, was a cheerleader in college, and he went on to sort of work for a lot of different sports um, teams, sort of leading cheers, kind of like a, a cheerleader, I guess, an early right. cheerleader. And at the, hold on, let me look at it, 1981 ALCS game between the Oakland Athletics and the New York Yankees is believed to have been the first ever wave. He, like, started the first wave. So, I don't know. I just, cool. I just want to talk to him. I wonder how you would get the idea to do that. Oh, oh, it's, I read, read his Wikipedia article today. He, he was working in Canada at a hockey arena, and he started doing these cheers where he'd have one side of the arena stand up and yell, yeah. and they'd have the other side stand up and yell. And it happened such that sort of one section of one side kind of reacted quicker, and so it was kind of like a one-two right next to each other on one side of the arena. And he's like, oh, okay, well, maybe we can kind of purposefully do this. And so he, he – the article also said it took him several times to get – the uh, <laughs> the the baseball crowd to like figure out what they w- wanted yeah. him to do. I've seen the, nothing sadder than people in a stadium trying to get a wave going and failing. Yeah, and you can see they get like like a dozen, two dozen, and then it just peters out and goes nowhere. Ugh. It, de- it depends on. Yeah, I, I actually am a member of the anti wave page oh. on Facebook. So we could have an interesting debate. I, Absolutely. I, on, the on Facebook part made me like, I, you formalized your anti-wave. Yeah, it's official. Yeah, I, 
Yeah, I hate the wave. So having worked <laughs> for the Packers, uh, Packers fans, I love you. I do. But stop doing the wave while the team is on offense. That's Interesting. All. Yeah. The reason, <clears throat> I think one of the reasons I like it so much is at Michigan, at football games, I feel like Michigan Stadium was very in tune with their wave abilities. So we would do the wave a few times, and then we'd have section leaders who would we would speed it up, we'd slow it down, we'd wow. reverse it, we'd crisscross. So there were two at once. It was like well orchestrated. Well, well so, I've not been introduced to this. You would have hated all of it, Adam. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you would have. Yeah, working on the sidelines, you'd have been like, "Stop doing the freaking reverse wave." I don't wave, care about man. that. I I've been to Arrowhead. Uh, I've been to places where the fans, like when the team is on offense, they are dead silent. And I feel you have responsibility to be an educated fan. If you're going to call yourself a 12th man, really be part of the game. In Cincinnati, yeah. we were always. I can respect that. In Cincinnati, we're always silent offense because uh, no one is at the game. <laughs> <laughs> Gareth, who is your hammer? I'm guessing, really. Uh, my hammer this week is I grew up with Brad in southwestern Ohio. The first baseball game I went to was uh, a Cincinnati Reds game. I now live in New York City. Jay Bruce was a Cincinnati Red for many years. As of last week in the trading deadline, he's now a New York Met. I would like to talk to Jay Bruce about his thoughts on moving from southwestern Ohio to New York. That's awesome. <laughs> done and okay. done. Did he, uh, uh, did he miss Skyline Chili, too? Yeah, exactly. and end of interview. <laughs> no, that's a good one. That's a good one. Okay, for mine, guys. Brad, who's your hammer? Oh, thanks. Just wrapping it up, guys. This is about a week old. We're recording this when it's happening in the moment. It's going to be a week old or so when we when we post it. I already emailed the Steelers because running back D'Angelo Williams had a Walking Dead themed wedding. Oh, I saw oh, this. Really? Yeah. He and his wife and their wedding party all decked out in professional makeup like zombies. It was amazing. My wife called me. She's like, did you see this news about um, D'Angelo Williams? And I was like, no. And she, my me finished. She got like, walking dead. I, I was like already firing off an email. <laughs> I was like, come on, show. <laughs> all right. Those are our hammers. If you've got someone you want us to talk to, email us justnotsports at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at justnotsports. Find our Facebook page, justnotsports. No, Facebook.com backslash Just Not Sports. Facebook has not yet changed their domain to Just Not Sports backslash Facebook. Not yet. <laughs> that, that, my email must be in, uh, in uh, Zuckerberg's uh, junk. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Courtney Vandersloot, someone I filed on Twitter, Chicago Sky player, very fun person, coming on to talk romance novels. Stick around. We'll be right back. Joining the show right now is Courtney Vandersloot. Courtney is one of the best and most popular players for the WNBA's Chicago Sky. She was one of the most decorated college players ever during her time at Gonzaga. And as a senior, she led the Bulldogs to the Elite Eight. And since going pro, Courtney has been an all-star and earned second-team all-WNBA status. But today, we're not talking hoops. We're talking a longtime passion of hers, romance novels. 
We're going to break down this billion-dollar industry, which ranges all the way from Pride and Prejudice to Fifty Shades of Grey. So, Courtney, thank you so much for joining the show. What romance novel are you reading currently? Um, I just finished the movie um, Before You, and I I had the book before, so I'm reading um, the one the, the following that comes after. It's called After You. After you. So, what what's it about? Give us a give us a quick breakdown. Well, the movie is about um, a girl that like is working for some a guy that was paralyzed in an accident. Um, he was like, it's kind of the me before you is before, and he did this like kind of controversial like um, assisted suicide because he didn't want to live this way. And she was like, the whole movie is she's trying to persuade him not to do it. They fall in love and blah blah blah. And then now me after me after you is like obviously after he passes and kind of like following her life and he set her up to be, you know, pretty, pretty nice. So it's, it's a cute little romance, different, you know, with obviously not a storybook ending that you want, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> well, help us understand, like, how do you define romance novels? Cause I, I, in prepping for this, you know, I've got everything from like the, the formal definitions from the, um, you know, the, the, uh, romance writers of America to, I think the genres have kind of branched out. You've got, um, you've got a lot of different sub genres within the category. I'm just curious, like how you define a romance novel. Well, you know, the type that I like, um, I just, I'm a sucker for love. So it, obviously, I want the happy ending at the end. I want things, to, you know. I'm, I'm into a little bit of drama, maybe a little mystery into it, like kind of like a Gone Girl ish, you know. I'm like into that, but and at the end, it has to be the end together and, and fall in love, and and that's the kind of like romance novels that I'm kind of into. So you're, but you're buying then the higher end section of the category, not like going to like what I did the other day, which was go to Walgreens and get like the, the $5 paperbacks they sell next to the like suntan lotion. No, 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 no. And I like like certain authors too, where if I read a book just out of blue and I like it, then I'll go read like other books that she or he has written. Um, because you know, they, I like their writing tendencies or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, like for example, Emily Giffen has a, like I've read every single one of her books and they're all like kind of the same, like some type of romance, a little drama, you know, maybe a little cheating or something like that. So, <laughs> But they don't always have a happy ending. Like one of the, one of the key definitions of romance writing is there usually is a happy ending. So it seems like you're more, you're more willing to take a flyer on something that might be a little bit more complex story-wise, right? I am. Yeah. Just to keep it interesting, but, I do like, I hate when it doesn't end the way I want it to end. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's a, give me a good example of that. Like nothing is worse than reading a book because unlike a movie, which you can just sort of sit there and plow through when you read a book, it's a commitment. And when you get to the end <laughs> and it's just no good, have you ever had a something where you just literally threw the thing across the room and you're like, I just wasted however long of my life on this crap? Well, Okay, I'm not ready to commit to that because I still really liked it. But the me before you really got me because they set it up like I thought that she was gonna like turn make his like change his decision to to not go through with it and that they were gonna live happily ever after. And so when it like when he actually went through with it, it like broke my heart. <laughs> like I was really glad there was another one after because then I was like, okay, I kind of like 
forgave him and <laughs> moved on a little. Do you ever cry while reading a book? And I don't. And this is not a. This is not a gender question. This is like I, I have had moments in my life where, um, you know, I will I will break down or whatever while, <laughs> while reading. But I always find. I always find that to be frustrating. Like if again, you're watching a movie, you break down, you just kind of keep going. But while reading, it can be very frustrating because you really need to focus your eyes. So it's just, it's just like kind of a mess. I actually haven't, um, but I haven't, I haven't even cried in a movie. So I'm not like, for some reason that doesn't get me. Courtney, you've never cried in a single movie. <laughs> never, never, not even Marley and me. Oh, not even Marley. You must be made of stone. <laughs> Marley and me, like I, that was the one that I was like, if I wanted to, I probably could, <laughs> but I'm not going to. All right, a, a quick list from me. I cried so bad in the Land Before Time, the the cartoon about the dinosaurs. And my <laughs> my mom took it back to the video store that night to prevent me from ever watching it again. I cried at Bambi in first grade so bad they sent me home from school. Um, oh. I watched Field of Dreams in college and had to leave a dorm room to like go down it when they the end where like you know Ray's having a catch with his dad. Uh, I had to go down to the bathroom and cry. And I was like 18 years old during that. So uh, I'm impressed with that you can be stone faced through some of the most uh, emotional <laughs> moments. Well, I'm I'm impressed that you can you can let go. <laughs> I wouldn't be impressed by that. Uh, but you know, hey, hey, whatever. So let, let's talk a little bit about some of your favorite authors. Now, when I think contemporary, because I had, a, let, let me just say this, in prepping for romance novels, I had a couple different ways we could go. I didn't quite know if you were going to say you're into more contemporary works or if you were going to say you're into like the steamy Fabio on the cover, like romance <laughs> novels that my, my Nana read. But like <laughs> contemporary, it's big business and like everything from like Nicholas Sparks um, you know, clearly like there's the whole, we'll get into like the 50 shades of gray, like kind of sub genre, but like, what are your favorite authors? Who, who do you kind of go back to time and time again? Um, well, Emily Giffen is a big one. She's my, like my favorite. Um, and I think she just came out with a new one too, which I need to get on. Um, but then I, I also have been this author named Leanne Morachi. Marachi or something like that. She she wrote Big Little Lies and Husband's Secret. And those two, I read the back-to-back so fast. And they were kind of the same. It was a little bit more drama, not so much like love. There was plenty of love, don't get me wrong, because that's that's a must. But <laughs> um, there's a little bit of drama, a little bit of like, ooh, mystery. Like So that, that was those two were really good. So now I'm kind of on the, I keep my eye out for her a little more. You know, I was I was good with the, the Gone Girl and Girl on the Train authors, those, those two are really good. Um, and, I, you know, I am a sucker for Fifty Shades of Grey, too. I, I, those were really good books. A little different than what I'm used to, uh, but I just cruise through those. All right, but here's my first question on Fifty Shades of Grey. Did you download it so that people wouldn't see you reading it, or did you just rock the hardcover and just say, "This no, is what I I'm downloaded doing. it"? <laughs> oh, come on! I downloaded it and I made sure people weren't like looking over. <laughs> well, did see personally? I think that's like this is a good example of like a double standard because people are like so outraged, but with Fifty Shades of Grey, it's a you know female focused um, audience, and people are like all these media trend pieces about. Oh, like these naughty books. Meanwhile, like, 
you know, guys my age grew up watching like HBO scrambled at night just to try to get any <laughs> any signal of nudity they could. So, I mean, I personally, I don't think the book was all that outrageous in terms of like having more mature, um, mature, mature subject matter. I know that like the whole like BDSM topic is still taboo in a lot of circles. So did you did you find that the the subject matter was the draw or was there something like when I say draw, I mean, from a curiosity, this is interesting. It's a different world perspective. Or did you just find like the story and the characters were worth reading about? I actually thought like the story and the characters like I love like the the like um deep like romance part of it, you know, like the other parts the the like freaking kinky stuff like I mean it was interesting and i but I wasn't like for that that part I was kind of like, okay, let's get on with like the rest like like I told you i'm I'm re- I like the like you could tell that she was changing him type of thing. And that was the part I kind of had a problem with in the movie with, because I didn't feel the chemistry between the two actors as I did in the book when I was reading it. Like I wanted that to be so deep in the movie and I just didn't, I didn't get that vibe. Yeah. I mean the movie, let's face it. Like those two actors hated each other. (laughs) I thought she was a good casting for, um, you know, normally in a role like that, they put, like a traditional beauty, like a Blake Lively, Lively, somebody who's mm-hmm. got like that kind of like Barbie look. I thought she had a a different, interesting look, um, but I, it was so clear that like he was just like a, a walking mannequin, and that they just didn't. Yeah. There was no real. I didn't feel like yeah. there was any real authentic chemistry, as though they actually liked each other. Whereas you look at like there's other movies that have similar takes. I, I don't know. Maggie Gyllenhaal was in a movie with James Spader called Secretary that was all about BDSM, or even go back to like. Um, Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct. I mean, there's a lot of sexual thrillers that have had the that are carried by the leads actually seem like they're intrigued by each other. So I just I don't know. I hear they're gonna make more of those. I just don't know how, given how kind of poorly the first one was was received, it seems yeah. from readers of the book. Yeah, but I feel like you always have that a little bit though when the book is is just such a hit, like. The movie's bound to be bad. <laughs> right. Now, di- like you said, you read Gone Girl. So did you did you like the I, way that they made the movie? Or did you see it? No, I hated it. Oh, you hated it? <laughs> yeah. Why? What happened? I felt like kind of the same thing. Maybe just because I didn't like that. You know, and um, what's the actor's name? Oh ben God. Affleck? Ben Affleck. He's one of my favorite actors, too, which obviously I just blanked on his name. But he, I love him in a lot of movies. I just didn't like those two actors together. Like, it just, it didn't, it didn't do it for me. Yeah. And although, I, and in fact, I only saw, I only saw that movie kind so of much. out of, I only saw that like kind of out of sequence, like on HBO. I need to like sit down and like kind of watch it all the way through. Um I thought it was an interesting vision, and and uh, Jillian Flynn, the author, is uh, she used to be an entertainment reporter, um, and she's got some other books out. Have you read her other stuff? Um, what what else has she written? I might have. I don't remember the other Dark places. Was Dark Places one of them? Maybe. Um, I definitely. Re- I think because after I read Gone Girl, I was like, I got to read more. Like, there's something else, and I think Dark Places maybe was one. Yeah, it, that you're right. That is, I just looked it up. So that is that is one of yes, her books. Yes, and I loved Dark Places. Loved it, almost more than Gone Girl. 
See, but these are like crime. I feel like these are just crime stories. They're not romance novels. Kind of are. They kind of are. Next, you're going to be like, I love romance novels. Like, you know, um, the Bourne movies. <laughs> I'll be like, no, that's not, you know, that's not romance. Yeah, what are you doing? That's true. Um, okay, it's like once you're like reading, romance is like my favorite, but it's not like I don't watch it like any other movies or read any other book. No, I you get know? you. So, like, yeah. what about, like, the Nicholas Sparks books? Did you ever get... I know they're, like, skew a little bit younger, but there's a lot of people who have liked them. I know... And, and they, they run the gamut. Like, stuff like The Notebook is pretty sappy, but Safe Haven is is more of a thriller, kind of a sleeping with the enemy type. Have you read any of his stuff? I actually haven't read his books. Like, I always just hear about them, the movies until I watch the movies, and then once I watch the movies, it's really hard for me to go read the book. I have to read the book first. So oh, I think all of the movies, but I haven't read the books. But I like all the movies, so maybe I should go back and read. But I already know what happens. Like that's, like, <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Like, there's only been a few times that I've read, I've read a book after seeing the movie, and it's usually when a movie, or when a book is like really dense and or complicated, and I just need help placing what's going on. Um, <laughs> but I'm with you there. I will say this: I don't like. I never liked the notebook, the movie, the way that, you know, other people did. Although my wife loved it because she she would dump me for Ryan Gosling like any day of the week. Um, right. I know. I would. I really liked Safe Haven, the movie. Yes. Like I was I was expecting this like like loving, nice romance movie, you know, like romantic. And then all of a sudden, like it gets kind of scary. And I like remember like screaming. And during it and like I'm I'm not good with thrillers or anything like that so I was just like really thrown off with this movie um that's hilarious like screaming do you remember what part you were screaming at it was like the ex was like it was something with a fire right like there was a fire or something he just like showed up in the dark oh yeah I know what you're talking remember about remember this or not I was like just it was just too scary for me now have you have you seen Sleeping with the Enemy that old Julia Roberts movie I have not. You need to download that because that's one where it's very much in the same vein where it's it's a love story uh, where she's kind of left the husband and um, he's like chasing her down. But it's super creepy and I think you would like it. I don't know. It sounds scary to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said you're, you're a big fan of anything with love. So what's the what's your kind of barometer for that? Like what type of romance do you do you like like romantic comedy do you like more like very flowery dramatic emotional like what's what's your your go-to when you talk about a good love story romantic comedies for sure like i like the the combination between like where it's funny maybe things aren't going perfect um but then at the end like you know the 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 love always wins kind of type of thing (laughs) you know I, i i do like the like Sometimes I, I like the dramatic ones where, I don't know, like, for movie purposes and book purposes, I, like, I don't like, obviously in real life, I would never like the cheating, but like the ones that are kind of like, there's maybe a little like sketchiness going on or drama, you know, yeah. for entertainment purposes, I like that. <laughs> now, how, how trashy is too trashy in the romantic genre? Like, where do you have to draw the line? You're like, okay, this is just... It's just too, um, not necessarily sexual, but just it's just too thick with all of the plot points. Hmm. 
tough question. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I would get to that point unless it was just like, okay, this is. This is I think maybe like when you into like a show, you know, where it becomes. Like that's what the good thing about movies and books, I think, is that you you cut it off before it gets too much. Right. <laughs> but then when you get into like a show, like a scandal or something, where then it's like, okay, this is just getting a little absurd for me. <laughs> yeah, I I know the feeling because the the shows have to go. Are, like, did you ever watch the show Revenge? No. Okay, that's a good one. That like the first seasons were like my wife was super into it. We watched it together, and I was like, okay, this is good. It's it's a fun little dramatic like soapy. Um, soapy uh like story but but not not like cheesy like a soap opera it was still just like pretty good and then as uh-huh. the seasons went on you could tell they kind of ran out of stuff to do and that's when they start like everything just gets ratcheted up three notches <laughs> and you go like yeah. every episode you're like oh no this guy's bad again i thought he was good like, <laughs> this guy's getting killed i don't know it gets too much yeah yeah, yeah that's what i'm talking about that's the stuff that's too much so on your team do do other members of the team kind of share this, you know, uh, this interest in like romantic movies, romantic books, or are you kind of the lone wolf here? I'm not a lone wolf, but I would definitely don't think it's like the the common, you know, it's not like we all sit around and talk about love stories for sure not, but actually Elena was the one that got me on me before you told me to read that. So I know she is too. Um, and Allie Quigley also is a big sucker for love. <laughs> and helps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and helps me with those like we'll, we'll share books and tell like which ones to read but I don't think like everyone is into that kind of thing so is a sucker for love is that the best way to describe you like when you talk about your yeah, pop culture yeah, yeah. <laughs> no hesitation on that one you're just like yes no, no like that's it that's my <laughs> my life in a what about like the historical ones? Like, you know, go back to like, a lot of people are really big into like Pride and Prejudice or go back to like Jane Austen novels. Like, do, is that something that you, is that, is that a, is that a niche that you've, you've gotten into or you like more contemporary stories? I'm more contemporary. Like not so much that, like maybe just because I haven't really given them a chance. Yeah. Like, um, I just like what I like, you know, and it's just those kind of like almost cheesy. Like I know they're cheesy a little bit, like, but that's just the type that I like. All right. So I'm going to ask you a couple romantic comedy movie questions real quick. Okay. Okay. Um, my wife was watching, you know, 10 things I, or no, 10, how to lose a guy in 10 days this weekend. My favorite movie. It's your favorite. Okay. I want to, let's unpack this for, <laughs> for just a second. Do you like Matthew McConaughey as a romantic comedy lead? Or um, do you feel like uh, there are better ones out there? Um, I, I loved him in that movie. I loved him. I think, but I think like Ryan Gosling is probably the best. Yeah. He's pretty, like, have he's you pretty seen dreamy. Crazy Stupid Love? Have I seen what? Crazy Stupid Love. Uh, I have, that's one of Steve Carell in it too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have seen that. He's, he's very good in that. Yes. He's very good. I didn't like the notebook though. I know that's like hot take here. I just thought it was, I, I thought it was too predictable and too plotting. It's one of those like cheesy ones where it's just like if you just have to kind of buy into it and just accept it for what it is. <laughs> the the other movies that like are on all the time in my house are the Katherine Heigl movies, like um 
the 27 dresses gets a lot of play <laughs> on it. my team. Love it. Love <laughs> okay. it. I actually don't I don't mind that movie. That's one that I can put on and just be like, okay. And then there's another one that's like, this is really embarrassing. There's an Ashton Kutcher Cameron Diaz movie, What Happens in Vegas. And I've seen that like probably ten times on cable because it just gets put on while our kids doing something. And it's actually grown on me too. And I really don't like Ashton Kutcher, but I'm like, all right, this movie's pretty good and I think she's funny in it. I don't know. No, it's it's not bad. Yeah. I like that. So do you do do you drag people to like go see these rom-coms in the theater? Yes. Or do you just like, I was going to say, or do you wait till they're, and you wait and like download them? Like when you're. No, when you're no, no. Like I see them in the theater. Usually if there's like a, um, there's a good chance I might see them in the theater. <laughs> well, Hey, look, no judging here. I think that a good romantic, <laughs> a good romantic comedy is, is something really, it, it is a really good night out. The problem is I feel like, that genre has splintered too, where now you have a lot of guy movies like, like knocked up that, that are, they're kind of like a romantic comedy, but there's really no romance in it. It's more just like a stoner comedy with a love story kind of woven through it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I like those ones too. I like, you know, I like funny movies. So even like super bad, like those types of funny movies I like, but the best, I was going to say the best uh, romantic movie that I can think of is, Friends with Benefits with Justin Timberlake. Oh. Have you seen it? Oh my God, I, I love it. I, I have watch it every day. I, I have not seen that movie. My wife saw it, did not like it, but she liked it better. <laughs> she liked it better than the other one, the um the Ashton no Kutcher and Natalie back. Portman. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like that yeah. one at all. I don't really like Ashton Kutcher. I'm with you on that one, so, but I still, I like the story. So, like, I like the concept of it. Yeah, well, that's good. Well, like you said, you're a sucker for love, so anything love-related. All right, so to, to close out, you've given us a lot of time. I really appreciate it. What we do on this show, we know that athletes get have to take those really annoying aptitude tests, like the Wonderlick exam. So on Just Not Sports, we do the Wonder Like, which is five questions about the thing that you like. So in this case, it's five question questions about romance novels. Now, okay. these are admittedly a little bit more skewed toward like the traditional romance novel, <laughs> you know, like the, the dime store. So bear with us here. I'll give you a little bit of a pass. If you don't, if you don't go like, you know, four for five or something like that. Okay. All right, here we go. <laughs> Number one, name the couple, just first names in the notebook. Allie and Allie and Noah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you did it. <laughs> You got it. Nice. That was very good. Um, all right. Number two, Goodreads has a list of romance novels that have Fabio on the cover. Is that, what was it? you know, Fabio, like the model with the long hair. Okay. The site Goodreads has a list of all the different romance novels where he's the cover model with like, you know, shirt open, big chest, that kind of stuff. Is okay. the total, is the total number of books with him on the cover over or under 75? Under. It's over. They have 82 books with Fabio on the cover. Really? Do you even know Fabio? You might be too young to even remember this guy. I, I don't even know Fabio. Maybe that's why I got the question wrong. You don't even know. So you should Google him. He's like this long-haired hunk. Like, but he's like a, he's like a <laughs> classic 80s hunk. You know, like huge muscles, like really square jaw and long hair as though like that's, that's what every woman wants is like a long-haired... Um, you know, man beast, but whatever. (laughs) 
All right, so okay. you're, one, you're one for one. Three more. Filmmaker Lori Kahn made a documentary about romance novels called Love Between the Blank. Love Between the Lines. Between the Covers. <laughs> oh, that makes more sense than mine. <laughs> between the Lines. You know what? <laughs> you were close. You were close. <laughs> All right, two more. Who was the first author to be inducted into the Romance Writers of America Hall of Fame? Questions are these? You mean you you have not you have not gone to the Romance Writers Hall of Fame ceremony? No, I didn't even know that thing existed. <laughs> All right, so you're not going to know who it is. It's Nora Roberts. Have you read any of her oh. books? No, but I have heard her, so I probably should have known that. What about Danielle Steele? Did you ever read any Danielle Steele? That's like steamy. That's like romance romance novels. No, I haven't. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd recommend it. All right, oh, last, last one. I hope I get it. Uh, Jane Austen, famous, you know, historical writer of romance. In her novels, there are over or under 15 total kisses in all of her novels. Over. Under. Or <laughs> 14. <laughs> I hate this game. See, on a question, I'll give you a tip. For, this is good trivia tips. If they give you an over under, you just say if it's a high number, it's usually going to be over. If it's a low number, it's usually going to be under. I feel like low, 15 kisses is a low number. It's a super low, but that's just because they were written in like the 1800s, and it's it's got to be like they were so scandalous, um, you know, to have they weren't going to have Mr. Darcy like, you know, bare chested groping, uh, groping really? the uh-huh. girls. So, well, hey, th- this has been a lot of fun. We really appreciate you coming on. I, I, uh, I I'm glad that you're a sucker for romance. What, what <laughs> to end it? What's the one thing? Is there a movie or a book or something like that, that you really want to recommend to our listeners? as like, this is something you just have to go go pick up because um, it's one of your favorites, but something they may not have heard of. Um, I think Big Little Lies by Leanne Mortree, okay. something like that, uh, was, is, I don't think it's like really, really out there, but it's very, very good. I read it like too fast. Too fast. So, too fast. Are you someone that can just sit down Wait. and read an entire book in a day? I can't do that. I can't. No, no, no. Well, I could maybe if I had that much time, but I'm not like a particularly fast reader. Like if I don't, if I like think I miss something, like I go back and read it. So like, I don't want to miss any details. Yep. I'm the same but way. I'm, I, a, I'm a slow ass reader. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, me too. And, <laughs> but like, so when I finish a book fast, I'm like really impressed with myself. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, when you finish good books, you tweet us, tweet us at, uh, um, you know, at just not sports. We will share them. We'll do a little book club with our, with our readers. Okay. If you get anything you really like, Sounds good. and we'll tell all Sounds of our, great. all of our fans uh, to follow the sky. We're, we're pushing for you guys to, uh, to make a late push here and, uh, follow you on Twitter at salute 22. Courtney, thanks so much for joining the show and, uh, best of luck rest of the season. Thanks for having me. The 1990s were a time of two-man teams in the NBA. You had Jordan and Pippen for the Bulls, Shaq and Penny on the Magic, the Glove and the Rain Man on the Sonics. It was the perfect time for a video game focused on high-flying two-on-two action, which came in the form of NBA Jam. This is the video game that introduced the world to flaming three-pointers, 20-foot vertical leaps, and announcers who said, boom shakalaka-laka, with zero irony. Uh, 
Today we're going to remember the game, one of Adam's all-time favorites, and a topic you've been dying to talk about. We also have a special treat at the end of this segment. We're going to talk to Mike Isolino. If that name rings a bell, NBA Jam fans, it's because by his own description, he is arguably the most obscure NBA player to ever appear in the NBA Jam franchise, and he was in the very first season playing for the Dallas Mavericks. So we've tracked him down. He's a coach of Robert Morris. Great guy. We had a lot of fun talking about it. But now, first, we need to break it down from our own perspective. Adam, when you're in the gym yeah, and you're really feeling it, do you yell, he's on fire? Absolutely. <laughs> it's become part of our cultural lexicon, hasn't that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't hear it a lot anymore. I don't you think don't? this, this didn't, this think, didn't invent he's even... on fire. It just made it uh, like a thing. Yeah, so the fake announcer on the game was doing his best Marv Albert impression, and so there were a lot of lines borrowed from him and dropped into this game, including he's on fire. Or inspired by him and stuff. What makes yeah, the game so appealing? Like, why, why do you think it was that there's been a million basketball games, NBA Live, like NBA 2, you know, like 2K, all these series... Why do you think NBA Jam has this sort of nostalgic reach on guys of our age and our guys of our age anywhere between like late twenties and early thirties? Well, I think it's uh, the superhuman qualities of the players. So I would say a game that came slightly before this that I found wildly entertaining on Nintendo was Arch Rivals. Do you remember Arch Rivals? I don't. Gareth, where, do you remember Arch Rivals? I do not. So this is where players could physically punch each other. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. So I think this was the evolution of that popular two-on-two game, but with improved graphics. And what was most important is this is one of the first games to have NBA licensing. So it wasn't like the generic names like like Magic Jordan or whatever fake names they'd have to make up in the 80s for the players. Like these were the real players, players that you recognize with their skill sets. Sometimes not, because Patrick Ewing could shoot threes. And I feel like you never felt like you were out of a game. I, in terms of my video game playing, at the fewest amount of blowouts happened in NBA Jam. Because of the way they programmed this game, you always had a chance to stay in the game. I would say the two things about that. Number one, if you were a video game developer in the 80s or 90s and you were trying to dodge a, a, a lawsuit, naming your player Magic Jordan is a bad, a you know bad way to going. do it. Not the best ad <laughs> Two, I I agree with you on it was the first time that the, the players had like expanded heads, mm-hmm. kind of bobblehead It's the first time I remember really seeing the personality of who you were trying to play in a sports game. I think by the early nineties, uh, you know, Joe Montana ninety three on Sega Genesis had created good graphics for much better graphics than Madden at the You're time. Right. For football. That game also had the speed burst, and that's why I played it almost exclusively when it came to football games. Oh my gosh! Like the uh, the, the the spin move, you know? Like I was the Tampa Bay yeah, Bucks, yeah, so yeah. I, could, I could crush that game. Um, but but the, you didn't have any. Of the you never saw the players. You know, it was just helmets. Right. This game, you saw big kind of bobbleheady style heads. It was people you knew, and then to your point, the gameplay. I could be getting blown out by a hundred points, but it was a fast paced game. It was a reckless game. And I, I do think that it persists not just out of a sense of nostalgia, but because in the hyper-realism of modern video games, which a lot of people swear by, there was something to playing a cartoonish version of a, of, of a, of a game with players you knew. And 
just having fun and like not so much being focused on oh is that really Tim Hardaway's cross move you know crossover but just being like that was a blast and I loved it when I like you know dunked and broke the backboard and right and you know right all the players at uh, relatively... Brad, hey, hold on a second you said it was a reckless game I don't know what you're talking about with flaming basketballs <laughs> raining in from 30 feet out <laughs> what are no you talking fouls. about well I yeah I agree and I also think like reckless in that um it wasn't like, hey, let's get into our offense and like move the ball around. It was like, I'm going to run down and jump from three point line and try to like do a. Like, I hope that the game takes over and I do like a 360 jam. But I do think there's an inter- interesting strategy to the game that. So I feel like, like what? games. What up- is. Give me one strategy okay. for NBA. Well, I feel like games up to this, you look at Tecmo Bowl or even some of the early Madden games, and it was like, like the early Madden games, it was like run halfback sweep right. with Emmett Smith. And you're going to get, gonna to get a edge, touchdown you can, you can more often than not. I felt like in this game, you really had to choose whether, what, especially with the teams you choose, are you a three-point shooting team? Are you a dunking team? Because a lot of the players could do the same thing. So you had really had to choose within your game style versus your opponent. What were you, how were you going to approach that game? Like, do I, do I, what's the better combo to have? Do I want a Larry Johnson and Kendall Gill where – pretty good at defense, really dynamic dunkers, or am I going to go with the Phoenix Suns where I've got Charles Barkley, a dynamic dunker, and Dan Marley, a three-point shooter? So I right. think the combination and, and mixed mashup of personalities was really interesting too, something you hadn't seen a lot in video games up to this point. Garrett, do you remember playing this game much? Uh, I remember everything about this. I, well, I don't remember everything about this game. Uh, here's what I remember. Wanting this game so badly saving up money to buy this game and playing the crap out of it in my basement while listening to probably like Jane's addiction blasting very, very loudly and turning the sound off. Um, it's amazing. I, we were virgins as long as we were Gareth. <laughs> yeah. Shit. Uh, I love this game. Uh, I, I loved the bobblehead aspect. I love the cartoonish aspect that you mentioned, Brad. I think it was a conversation years later where you're like, have you tried to play Madden? At this point, you have to be like good at football. <laughs> yeah, good at football. I'm out. I, I I'm yeah. now my dad who could not figure out how to make Mario run right in Super Mario Brothers. That would be me if like my three year old handed me Madden and was like, "Just go, Dad." And then look, I I'm not trying to sound old. Like I, most guys our age still play religiously. I just it, I fell off my radar. Like Adam's looking at me like, "Yup, yup, going home to play uh play an 18 year old kid in Madden tonight." <laughs> This, to me, at that point, uh, NBA Jam was a great escapist video game. After right. that, a lot of sports games were no longer escapist. That's so. a great point. And this is one of the last games that Charles Barkley appeared in because he won't give his imaging or uh, rights up to anyone now these days. And I don't know, you, uh, you're, you're, you're kind of looming over a list of all the different teams you like should we be guessing like who are the who are the best ones or what do you want to do yeah well i wanted to mention a couple things so interestingly enough in the original game two players you don't see michael jordan and gary payton there were gary payton yeah there were later alternate versions made of these games with michael jordan and gary payton for michael jordan and gary payton's personal use (laughs) <laughs> I swear I played as Gary Payton, but now that I think, I think so. about it. I think on the Sega Genesis version, he was there. Now I think but, it was like Detlef Shrimp, though. It was Detlef Shrimp. Um, and the Rain Man. And Sean Kemp. Because Sean Kemp was amazing in yeah. this. 
But I do get Peyton showed up somewhere, but Jordan, as with a lot of video All games, right, Gareth, not. let's let's you and me. I don't have the list in front of me. Oh, Adam, I was going to say, why don't we guess at who are the top teams? Sure, go for it. All right, Gareth, what do you think? Give me your top five or top three. Top three. I can't remember enough of that. I, I, I'm going to bow out on this one. You can't remember basketball in the 90s, dude? Just say, like, just you oh, yeah, yeah, stars yeah, yeah. on the best, du- <laughs> best the duos Blazers. in the 90s. Was that? Yeah, no. It was the Blazers with Drexler. You had the Rockets and uh, Keem. And like you said, Bar- Barkley and Dan Marley, uh, I definitely remember. Um, was that the top three? You you got two of the top three, according to uh, some. All right, I'm going to say Stockton and Malone. That is number one, sir. Oh, According nice. to Deadspin, the top three teams, Carl Malone, John Stockton on the Utah Jazz, Charles Barkley and Dan Marley on the Phoenix Suns, Hakeem Olajuwon and Kenny Smith on the Houston That's Rockets. That's good because Olajuwon's size with Kenny Smith's three-point shooting. Real quick, who would be the greatest all-time team? Carl Malone and John Stockton. Jordan Pippen. I, I think Jordan Pippen would be good, but they don't have the size. Probably LeBron Wade. Yeah, LeBron Wade would be amazing. Yeah. In that game, with their with their respective games, they could shoot the three in the game. They could do the dynamic dunks. What about Magic and Kareem? Five. In their prime. Pretty good. I don't know if that Kareem ever made an appearance. Yeah, in Magic game. didn't shoot great. Kobe and Shaq in like Kobe 2000 Shaq, probably right. would have been the best. Because Kobe would be like in Mr. Outside and Shaq would just be unstoppable. Because he, he wasn't like heavy or Shaq. Shaq. Penny Shaq would have been great, too. Man, Penny and Shaq were so good. That 30 for 30. Oh. Great. Um, so w- back to this. Worst team. Anyone want to guess? Okay, so we're having on, um, in a minute, we're having on Coach Mike Ozzolino. I-, I don't believe he was, because they had Derek Harper on that Mavs team, so I don't think they were the probably labeled the worst. They weren't the They're worst. They're probably bottom five. They were 24th on this okay. list. Uh, the last. The Milwaukee Bucks. Wait, can I guess who was on? Yeah. 1993 Bucks. That's pre-Glenn. Uh-huh. Uh, Pre-Ray Allen. Uh-huh. Mm, I'm just going to pull a name out of thin air. I have no, I, Brad Lowhouse. Correct. All right. Yeah, I, I knew that. I'd I, I done some research on this, so I knew. <laughs> I knew oh, Brad wow. was on. And, we may have also tried to get Brad on the show, too. <laughs> And Blue Edwards. Blue Edwards. Uh-huh. Man. On the Bucks. How I would have thought Roy Tarpley or somebody. But he no, he was on the Mavs. Uh yes. So No, no, the Mavs was Mavs was uh, Derek uh, Harper. Derek Harper and and, yeah. and Mike Azzolino. Yeah, Christian Leitner and Chuck Person very low on this list as well. And I was actually surprised, by the way, credit to Deadspin for putting this list together. Uh, number 26, Tom Gugliotta and Harvey Grant, which surprises me a bit. Not that Harvey Grant was the most dynamic athlete, but like that's a solid team. Here's the team I would play as every single time if I could do NBA Jam historically. Starberry and Garnett. <laughs> I, oh, always. Absolutely. Because they'd right. be so good in their respective positions, but you'd always be sort of like frozen in time as them as the perpetual underdogs. I always like playing these video games like the underdogs. I'm I wouldn't so- just plug in as the Cowboys. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to be the... I'm gonna be the Bucks or the Bengals uh, and run, you know, run off 16 straight wins for Madden, you know. Or for this, I'd be Lowhouse and Starbury <laughs> and would Blue take Edwards. 15 threes at the end of the game and mess them all. Gareth, you got a hot closing take on this before wait. we get into coach. Oh wait, oh, oh, Adam has not. a hot take. We are not done. 
Do you guys remember the hidden characters? Now, okay, I remember certain cheat codes that would be certain cheat codes would would unveil characters. I don't remember who those characters were. No, I don't remember all of them. And actually, the research I did, I think it was a little mucked up because they didn't show just the characters from the first version. They showed kind of the hidden characters along the way. So you've had you've had Hillary Clinton, you've had. Um, Barack Obama, Sarah Palin, gotcha. people that aren't surprised. But the first one I thought was really interesting. So the, I don't remember the fourth one here, but I'll start from four and go backwards. Do you guys remember Fresh Prince? Maybe that was the arcade version. I don't. I do not remember Will Smith in this game, but it was the character was Fresh Prince. Well, I do remember him. Really annoying. Every time he got to the fourth quarter, he got um, in a fight and sent away to Hollywood. <laughs> Well done. Uh, Bill Clinton was in the original. I remember Bill and Hillary were on, were on a team. I think you'd play as both of them, right? Yeah, no, I don't remember Hillary early on. According from the records I could find, she was included uh, later. I think I've seen on. the YouTube video of that. And then because the music was inspired, it had a very P-Funk sound. George Clinton was in this game. Oh, uh, I thought you were going to say Jeremy Piven for PCU. <laughs> no sir <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie PCU George Clinton George Clinton was in the game and then this drives me crazy there was a kid in the game simply named Air Dog Air Dog Air Dog never playing with Air Dog yeah and nobody <laughs> it, it was, like as a kid I thought this is awesome that some kid got to be in this game now as I've gone through adulthood and become more jaded and seen countless uh, acts of nepotism, I think uh, some fucker put his kid in the game. Right. Bullshit. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, Yeah, so that's all I got. Right now, we're going to jump into a quick conversation with uh, Mike Isolino, one of the most obscure players in the game. Uh, Some funny revelations from his his cultural connection to this uh, iconic video game. And then stay tuned after that for some distractions to wrap things up this week. Here's where I want to start. You are currently a coach at uh, Robert Morris University. When one of your players hits three shots... Do you scream out, he's on fire, or any, any of the catch, boom shakalaka, any of the catchphrases from the game, man? Please tell me you do. <laughs> no, I never said, I've never said that, but uh, not the boom shakalaka. Maybe he's on fire. <laughs> um, you know, we joke about that once in a while. When did you first realize, when did you first hear about the game and realize that you were included in it? You know, it was funny because uh, it was probably a couple years later that uh, somebody had told me, yeah, I never realized I was in it. Um, You know, and I was never informed by anybody in the league or anything like that. And a couple of years later, somebody said, hey, do you know you're in the, uh, I was not a video guy. I never grew up. Maybe that's why I made the NBA because I never played video games. (laughs) Um, So I I never played any of the video games. So one day somebody came up and said, hey, you know, do you know you're in this video game? I said, no. And, you know, you don't really think much of it. And, uh, you know, one day I was, in a in a Chuck E. Cheese with uh, at a birthday party or something, and <laughs> I went on the NBA game, and there it was. You know what I mean? It was the first time I'd ever seen it. It was probably at least five or six years later. 
Uh, first of all, the fact that you found yourself in a famous video game at a Chuck E. Cheese is like the perfect way to find yourself in an arcade game. Like that's that's number one. Number two, <laughs> when you when you see it, like how did you process that? Like how do you process seeing yourself in a video game? Right. Uh, you know, first I think the first thing that came to my mind when I was on the video game is what the hell were they thinking? Uh, <laughs> you know, because you know the the Bulls had Pippen and Jordan and the Magic had Skiles and um, uh, Shaq and you know all, all the famous guys. So you know. Maybe it was a situation where they just needed, you know, they were looking at a fan favorite down in Dallas at the time <laughs> or something. So, uh, you know, I, I still can't figure out why why I got selected, but obviously it's a great honor um, for that and everything. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, it's not just a video game, but it's the whole process of, of, of you know, you know, why did you get into the NBA? Why did you make it? You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, like I said, it's just an honor to be, be in that video game, but to be in that league and to be in that environment, you know, if anybody's ever made it, it's been a long road. So, okay. I think that's a good point. And to ground our listeners, you know, it, NBA jam was unique in that it had two players per team. So, you know, it's one thing to say, Oh, well, even if you were a, um, even like a kicker or a punter or, or a bench player in, in Madden or, or the new games, you can find yourself and insert yourself. This was a very exclusive club. So I totally can understand. You're not just being self-deprecating when you talk about um, how did I make the cut? Each team was boiled down to, if, you're, if it's the Knicks, it's, it's, it's Ewing and Starks. If you're the Bulls, it's like you said, Jordan and Pippen or, or Pippen and Grant, whatever year it is, Penny and Shaq or Skiles and Shaq. Was there any, did other players on the team recognize it? Or I, well, I guess maybe not since you said you didn't find out until a couple of years later. I'm just, I'm just, did you ever run into another member of the Mavericks who was kind of like, how did you get that slot over me? Or did you guys ever argue about it? No, nobody ever, ever really said anything. You know, it was, like I said, it was, uh, it was me and Derek Harper for the Mavericks. And, you know, I think that it was interesting at the time. I, like I said, again, I have no idea why I was selected for it. And, uh, you know, we were having some transition there at the time, you know, uh, that was the years that, uh, Roy Tarpley was banned from the NBA and, you know, they traded away Rolando Blackman, who was obviously uh, a very popular and famous Maverick. Um, you know, some other guys like Brad Davis and fat lever were at the end of their career and they were hurt. I don't know if they just, you know, selected me as part of saying, Hey, this is an up and coming rookie. Uh, not realizing that I'd only last two years in the league. So I'm probably <laughs> the most, uh, obscure guy on that game. But, uh, uh, honestly, to this day, it still perplexes me is, is, is why they chose me. But again, like I said, it's a great honor. You are not the most obscure guy in that game. Brad Lowhouse on the Milwaukee Bucks is, <laughs> I think, way, way, way more obscure, my friend. Now, that said, when you found yourself in the game, did you, did you make an effort to play as yourself? Or did you like, were you like, screwed, I'm just going to play as Shaq and just you know, try to beat my opponent? You know what? I've never, ever played the game. You've never you played? Know, you're in a video uh, game. You're in one of the most famous yeah. video games you've never played as yourself. No, my son is sitting right beside me. He said he's played it. So I, I feel <laughs> good about that. The only thing I know that I'm very happy about is the only time I've ever dunked in my life has been on that video game, which is, <laughs> uh, you know, pr pretty good. I've never dunked in real life. So on the video game, I can dunk. So there are some digital enhancements they can do that I'm pretty happy with. You mean you didn't have a 20-foot vertical where the ball turned into fire in your hands and you could do a flip in the air? Come on, man. I always thought that was legit. No, you know what I mean? That's that is definitely a little bit of uh, digital enhancement there. But, uh, 
you know, there was some nights when the ball was on fire in my hand. Let's go. <laughs> did did people ever recognize you? You know, like, as you said, you played a couple years in the league. You played um, several years overseas. You've now been on the um, operations side as well as on the bench in in the coaching ranks. Do people at all associate you with the game or perhaps uh, recognize you from the game a- anymore? Or is it just a, kind of a, a relic of a bygone era? You know, uh, what's funny is uh, when I was out at New Mexico about uh, three years ago, uh, was the first time somebody made a really big deal out of him walking through the Albuquerque airport. And this guy comes up to me and he's all, and you can Google because I think the story's online. Um, he starts talking to me. He's all excited about this thing. Like, cause he grew up on this game. He grew up on the first NBA jams game. And he comes up and he's like, Hey, you Mike is He's all excited about meeting me. And, you know, I mean, I'm excited about him now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny story. And end up, you know, we're taking photos together in the airport. And he writes a story. And I think he writes for the Denver post or something like that. He talks about meeting one of the most obscure players ever to play in NBA jams. But, you know, he was the one guy throughout the whole process that really, made a big deal of it. You know what I mean? Um, you know, personally, I never made a big deal of it myself because, uh, you know, I've always felt like I'm trying to be a humble person in it. You know what I mean? I've been very <laughs> blessed uh, to be able to be, be in those things and, and, and try to be humble with it. But, you know, there's, like I said, there's always a sense of pride of saying, hey, you know, of all the people they could have picked, they picked you and you were in it. And, you know, they can't change that. They can't take that away. You're always going to be on the first NBA jam. Yeah, that was Benjamin Hockman. Um, I think he, I believe he covered the Nuggets. Yeah, who 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 wrote that story? That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that that's crazy that that he ran into you and recognized you and wrote about it. That said, you know, yeah. video game culture is so big in sports these days. I mean, most uh, you mentioned yourself. Perhaps you got to the NBA because you spent more time on your actual shot than your um your, your virtual one. But a lot of you know kids who hit the league have been playing. You know you know, video games their whole lives. Um, it's certainly, it's a part of the culture around sports. Do, do you ever think that like, do you ever think about introducing this to the players that you coach or, or putting an old NBA jam in the locker room so that they can just kind of, I guess, get a better taste of, of, of your own role in the NBA? Or is it something that you just prefer if people discover it, like, you know, let them find it on their own. I don't need to promote it. Yeah. You know, most, most of the time I try to just, uh, let people find out on their own. Um, you know, every so often I'll use it as a, as a recruiting tool. If I need to throw something out at a recruit to get involved with them, <laughs> I'll be like, uh, you know, they start talking this and that to me. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I once played in a league and, you know, they'll be like, well, what league? And I said, ah, oh, it has three initials, NBA. You ever hear that one? <laughs> and they're like, really? And then, you know, I mean, it's because when they meet me, you know, I'm just a, just a small five eleven little dude, man, you know? And, uh, if you look, you don't think, hey, this guy played in, in the NBA, you know what I mean? So when I need it, <laughs> I'll pull it out of the bag. But, uh, you know, I don't pull it out too often. Man, your son needs to, I know he's right there. He's got a pony up for like the arcade version of this for dad for Christmas one year. Put it in the basement. And just I would play that every night, man. You're, you're way more restrained <laughs> about this than I'd be. If I was in a video game, like the most famous NBA game of all time with like the best players in the league, I can't believe how... Um, sort of nonchalant you're about you are about the whole thing uh, like I, like i said you know uh it's, it's one of those things it's a great honor you know obviously to be in that and everything but you know <laughs> i don't know i just never um i never got too excited about individual awards because i played in a team game and uh you know i always felt 
uh, you know, more honored when the, when the, when the team got recognition. So, like I said, I use it when I need to use it, but uh, you know, it's it's pretty much in my bag most of the time. Well, hey, you know, you were a player for a long time. Um, you've transitioned to coaching. How do you just game aside? I mean, uh, video game aside, how do you how do you like um, moving onto the bench? You've been doing this for a couple of years now, and uh, what what's the most appealing part of um, of coaching today's players? Well, you know, first I I just I feel so blessed because you know I've been part of basketball all my life, uh, and when you get the opportunity to do something that you love and you enjoy, uh, that means you never go to work your whole life. That's a pretty good job. Uh, right. So I got to play, and now I'm coaching, and it's just a great experience. But you know, for me, uh, it's all about giving back and helping players reach their goals. You know, um, you know, my career wasn't. You know, a lot of guys they just have this smooth career. You know, they're McDonald's All-Americans, and then they go to big-time colleges, and then they go on to the NBA. My career wasn't like that. You know, I went to Penn State. In my first two years at Penn State, my grade point average was higher than my scoring average. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then, uh, you know, I got to go to a small school, St. Francis of Pennsylvania, um, you know, and ended up getting drafted out of there. And, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of people that have gone through that type of conference at that level and got drafted and made it. Uh, St. Francis is one of the unique places because it's had some great NBA players and, and the great Maurice Stokes and Nolan Van Leer and Kevin Porter, you know? Uh, so, you know, I just feel fortunate and blessed that uh, I was able to make it from that, that type of environment. And uh, for me, it's all about giving back to players and helping them try to reach their dream because everybody that's involved in sports and every kid that I've ever come in contact has that dream of playing one day, whether it's in, in Europe or the NBA, and, you know, I've been very blessed with a lot of great coaches and a lot of great people. So I try to give back to those guys and help them reach their goals and dreams. You know, it doesn't always work out. Um, not everybody gets to make it and everybody gets to play pro. Uh, but, you know, help them also with their academics and, and to get their degrees and, and to help them become young men. So coaching has been really, really rewarding for me. Well, Coach, it's great. You, you've got a great story, a great attitude about the entire thing. Uh, we're so excited to see you. Um, on the bench. We wish you nothing but luck um, this upcoming season. And uh, thank you again for, for joining to, to have some of this. And, and please, if you see the game, play the game once in your life. Just play as yourself. <laughs> I will send you the quarter. I will refund your money, my friend. Uh, that'd be good. That, that'd be good. I'm not even sure it's out there anymore, is it? We'd have to, we'll have to find it. We'll do, we'll do some research online. If we, if we find a version we'll, that we can, we can ship you. We will. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the NBA to ship me the version for free. You know, saying that that's my royalty that I never got paid for anything for the game. I'm going to reach you know, out. Me, I'm going to reach out to game. Mark Cuban tonight. And I'm going to say, Hey, make, make this, make this work. <laughs> that that would be perfect. While you're at it, see if you can get me a job on their bench. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So, hey, Coach, thank right. you again for joining, and we really appreciate it. All right, no problem. Thank you. And we are back. So we talk about this a lot. When athletes make movies or music or do something interesting – there's always trolls and fans and old school columnists who decide they, they're going to label these things distractions. But we feel like life is just work and the things that distract you from work. So on this show on Just Not Sports, we celebrate distractions. And right now we're going to give you some of the things that have been distracting us this week. So I'm going to start with Gareth. Gareth from our Brooklyn Bureau, what is distracting you? Well, look, I have to say, I mean, it's 
difficult sometimes taping this alone while I'm I'm alone in a room and everybody else is together. And so I feel tonight. I'm falling on my sword here. I feel like tonight and this last episode, I've been a little low energy and I feel bad about it. Hot. You know, I, I was riding my bike around New York today. I think I might be a little tired. I've just been feeling like, you know, living New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down is the LCD sound system thing a few years ago. Yes. But my distraction is the Instagram feed of Ricky Powell on Instagram as the lazy hustler. He is, uh, and he was a photographer in the eighties, went on tour with Beastie Boys, became a famous, uh, photographer and documenter of rap music, rap music culture and New York street life. And his Instagram feed is kind of picking me up and smacking me across the rear end saying, get back out there, son. Don't get tired. Living here is the best thing you can ever do and enjoy yourself. It's basically an Instagram feed of his interests and walking around New York and the West Village and listening to a lot of his handheld transistor radio and groovy jazz music that I happen to love and uh, formulating a master plan. And he's got a lot of funky hashtags and good photos and just a great document of New York life. So, Ricky Powell, I'll pick it up for you, brother. The Lazy Hustler on Instagram, highly recommended. Excellent. Reminds me of last week's distraction for me, the Casey Neistat uh, vlog, which just keeps getting better. I highly recommend that, too. Yeah, uh, you said you're watching it like a TV show. I mean, you you or you tweeted out from our handle, like, on episode 25. Are you, like, starting from the beginning? I started his vlog from the beginning. I'm, not, I'm watching his life. 2016 or 2015? I started from the first one in 2015, April, and I'm in June. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Just Welcome, away. baby. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Terror Zone. Joe. No, it's been fun. I've been watching this too. Um, have you guys ever heard of the show The West Wing? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> guys, I'm discovering. It's funny how Joe's discovering 90s stuff. Have you guys ever heard of this Friends on Netflix? You're like Columbus finding America. <laughs> That's all I'm saying, man. I uh, I like political drama. I like watching politics. I like keeping up on it. I like like House of Cards stuff. <laughs> I'm so annoyed. By and this. Uh, <laughs> so I started watching The West Wing. It's great. That's I'm like good, 10 Joe. episodes Why don't you in. Go back and watch it for a couple weeks. We'll You're see making you later. fun of me, Liz. How, how are you going to catch up on Casey Neistat's or Neistat's vlog? Meanwhile, I'm, oh, I'm all the way 10 episodes through the this West Wing. This is such Wing. a role reversal. Dude, you got like right four <laughs> years to go to get through the rest of this content. Wait, what are you talking about? For West Wing? It's, be a, it's a long ride you have ahead. Yeah, there's seven seasons. Oh, I know. There's hey, one. look, guys, all I look forward to is seven years down the road when Joe gets into the newsroom. <laughs> yeah, no, baby. Like, have you guys been watching Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip? <laughs> no way, this man. highly underrated. That shit got canceled. That wasn't good. I did watch that when it was on, night? though. Guys. It was a laugh track, but it's dramatic. Laughing is terrific. Socket, socket to who? I don't know who this Dick Nixon guy is, but he's hilarious. Yeah, anyway. keep pouring on. Bring it on, uh, Adam. I don't like your. I don't like what's happened with your confidence. Yeah, this confidence. This would have destroyed go. you a while ago. Yeah, no, I, I'm just letting it just wash over me, Adam. Adam, like wash, all these West Wing episodes are just wa- wash, one after the wash other. Over me with your distraction. Gross. Uh, it's going to be destroying Joe's confidence again. 
<laughs> that's your distraction. Yeah, I can't <laughs> just wait. bringing me down a peg. Yeah, I'm gonna become your boss here. I gotta figure this out. Uh, <laughs> so my distraction, it's actually a distraction that I want to have, but I need some help from our listeners. So I feel like a general distraction for me is comic book movies, um, which, by the way, I will never take Brad Burke to a comic book movie with me again because you ruined Batman for me. Uh, Which Batman? Spoiler, his parents get killed. Which Batman? (laughs) Uh, The one with Bane. Which one was that? Dark Knight Rises? Yeah, the third one. That movie sucked. That movie's awful. Oh, (laughs) well... But it was I. I got to hear Brad call out the plot hole. Well, this is this is unbelievable, and this didn't match up. Sure, because wait, wait, wait. the idea of a billionaire who who dresses up as a bat and fights I, crime I, I, is realistic. Look, I, have, I have a lot of thoughts on that movie. Was he really was Brad talking for another episode? Can I have my distraction? Yeah. Was he talking during the movie? No, this was afterwards. Kelly also that would have been movie. a distraction. That would have been unforgivable. So, my distraction is, um, as a kid, I enjoyed collecting comic books, but similar to my uh, sports cards, sport card collecting, I picked the wrong ones. I used to get super excited when I got the foil pack J.R. Ryder. That didn't work out so well for me. Uh, Same with my comic book collection. I was kind of started collecting during the image era. So, like, Spawn, a good title, but then in Youngblood, a good title, but then a lot of crappy titles along the way. So I feel like comic book movies are getting so good that comic books are probably pretty good again, but I don't know where to start. If I were to subscribe to one comic book, listeners, what would it be? You know how to email us. You know how to tweet us. I need your comic book recommendations. I like that one. I think it's good. I get what you say about like wanting to get back into something that you liked, not knowing where to start, feeling a little bit, you know, overconsumed. And that um, will lead me to my distraction this week. We dropped HBO when we moved. We moved from our apartment in the city to the Burbs about almost two years ago now and spent about 10 months living, crashing with my wife's parents while we were searching for a home since we had sold our condo. In that time, didn't have HBO. Got it back. Uh huh. And watched the Jinx. Oh, great! I thought you were gonna say Ballers, but okay. No, Ballers. We'll get to. Um, the Jinx was fantastic, but also the theme song, "Fresh Blood" by the band The Eels. Very good. Uh, really got into the theme. Downloaded the theme song on iTunes, and some hard workouts with that thing on repeat. So mm. that's our show for this week. And if you don't like it, remember what Malcolm Jenkins said about bow ties. The beauty, my <laughs> friend, is in the imperfection. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Get those iTunes subscriptions up, people. Don't make us beg. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Snapchat. We are now on Beam. Casey Neistat's new <laughs> video platform. We are just not sports on BEME. Joe gets it. We're going to be launching that pretty soon. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. And uh, that's that. So with that, we'll end with some shout-outs. I'm going to give a big shout-out to Courtney Vandersloot from the Sky for joining us. Great interview. And thanks to Gianna Thompson for helping hook us up with that time. Uh, Mike, 
Isolino and the good people at Robert Morris University for giving us that time as well. What a great sport to come on, talk about NBA Jam. Let's hope that uh, the Mavericks step up, send him the send him the arcade version to play, and he can finally play as himself. Uh, Joe, Gareth, any quick shout-outs? Uh, Aaron Sorkin. I think Gareth, this, this, this guy's got a career ahead of him. Man. By the way, this for those of you who may be listening to this, this is 2016. <laughs> <laughs> shout out Ricky Powell formulating a master plan. Uh, shout out to Brett Favre. Congratulations on the Hall of Fame. And as usual, I'd like to give a shout out to my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, Little Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack. And my other cousin, Ron. Your other cousin, Ron, always helping us with the edits. Thank you for that time this week. And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers. Stay booty. Come together. Come together right now.